0: To this edition of the True Life podcast. We've got a great show for you today. We're here with Alan Willett. He is an international consultant. He has uh, done quite a bit of work in leadership and high tech development. We're going to talk about his new book today, some strategies, and how to. The title of the book is called Lead with Speed. And I'm going to just dish it off to you and let you kind of introduce yourself a little bit, Alan, if you want to add anything in there.
1: Oh, well, thanks for having me today. I'm
0: going to have a lot of
1: fun. Yes, Lead with Speed. Uh, bottom line is, We're in a hyper-competitive environment, and everybody's always under more pressure to do more fast. I got to tell you, the biggest question I always ask when I get in these organizations, you're in a hurry. Where are you in a hurry to? And we'll hit more of that later, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, it's a great question because, you know, sometimes when I think of speed, like, obviously, if you are in a position where you need to get a grant or where you need to get a project done or you have a timeline, there's an enormous amount of pressure that surrounds you to get this done. And sometimes it seems when, when we put speed into effect, there could be a lot of accidents and the accidents can be worse with the, the higher speed that we have. So I guess, I guess maybe you could begin talking about how do you discern the critical differences between slow projects and fast projects?
1: Oh, that's a great question. What is the critical difference between slow projects and fast projects? Okay. I'll give you an example of slow projects that look like they're fast. Okay. Okay. Uh, I have a story what I call the Red cream, red team versus the green team. The red team has been working overtime. They just are just pushing and pushing and pushing. And they get things into... You know, they make something fast and then they're testing it and then it's broken and they're working overtime to fix it and they're going and going and going. They miss their deadlines, but they get it done and they're happy and it has the customer. Meanwhile, the green team, green team looks slow. They're taking their time to design. They're doing careful checks of the design before they ever start to test it. They get into the testing and it works, and they're done. They put in a lot of hard work, but it's not like late at night, it's not on weekends, it's not fueled by pizza and Red Bull. And what I find the critical difference between fast organizations and slow organizations is which ones can make it distinguish between sweat and results. The red team sweat a lot, very visibly. The green team got results. And they got it out the door. And I think that's one of the big differences. The Green Team recognized a a number of the 21 laws of speed, which is, you know, rework, kill speed. Another one is, uh, we'll get to later, which is, you know, you got to know where you're going. And the Green Team knew where they were going.
0: So Yeah. Did I answer your question? I can do more. (sighs) Yeah, no, well, it's good. We'll get there. We'll get there. I just... Is that is that some of the, like, let's say that if you look back on your experience and you're called into a large corporation or an institution of some kind, what are some of the biggest things they throw at you right in the beginning? Is there a pattern there? Do you see patterns in these corporations? Or what are some of the things they're asking you to, to have help with? Sure. I was called
1: into uh, one of the big automotive places and they called me into their research center and they said, Alan... Alan, we have problems. And I said, "That's great. Let's do me a favor, and uh, you know, just do a little bit of prep before I show up in your conference room, and write down the problems." And they had this whiteboard, this line of problems. Very engineering, by the way. It was you know, nice list, very well organized, numbered, etc. And I and I go through those, and I say, "Huh, I'm not, not being rude, but I put together." I put W against some of them, O against some of them, and problem against two or three of them. I said, "Some of these are just whining. That's what the W is, because this is going to be true. Requirements are hard. You, you know, it's hard to perceive what the customer wants at the end. You know, cars, right? If you asked before cars, they said I want a better buggy whip." They didn't ask for a car. <laughs> so getting requirements right is hard. That's whining. Just just get over it. And some of them were observations, which was, you know, uh, this happens when this happens. And I said, you've got a couple problems here. What I'm struggling with here, guys, is you're saying you have to go faster, faster to where? What's the issue? And that's where the gold happened. Because what we found out is what they were worried about was i won't take you through the two-hour discussion but in about hour and a half point we finally got here they were worried that they were not innovating as fast as their competitors they needed to innovate faster than the other automotives i said okay now we're somewhere i said let's look at your measures of success how often do you get features out there before they do how often do they get features out there uh, before you do What's the comparison? We don't know. Mm. They, weren't, they weren't looking at the right end. So this started to change their thinking immediately. Okay. <gasps> I said, now which of these problems over here that you're talking about affect your ability to innovate faster than the enemy?
2: <gasps> <laughs> and
1: that just changed the whole discussion. So that's what I mean by speed to where. For them, it was really innovative faster than competitors. Uh, when I work with the uh, de- Department of Defense, it's, well, they're adversaries or enemies, if you will. <laughs> uh, with other people, it's really, uh, it's really speed to profit. We need to start to actually generating more revenue. We have to make sure our features are generating that revenue. <gasps> and, you know, it's just really we're, we're in a hurry, too. Why? And what's the impact if you don't? What's the impact if you do? So that's the whole part of Lead with Speed is know where you're going first and why.
0: <gasps> yeah. That brings me to this. I, as I was reading the book, you know, in the beginning, I, I began having this question in my mind. It seems to me that one of the problems that major corporations have today is a little bit, maybe it's speed without knowing where they're going. Because what I see is a lot of a lot of multinational corporations that are using data, and they they. It seems to me, at least in my opinion, that they turn the working person into a number. And when you do that, you strip out the humanity. However, it's necessary in order to datafy the person, because when you have data sets and data numbers, you know you can streamline everything. You can see this person or this employee is a certain way. But on some level, aren't you kind of taking the humanity and the The all-around morale out of the workforce when you do that.
1: Whew! Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's (laughs) two things here. Uh, You know, is you got to be careful what you measure because what you like it, what you ask for. You know, I feel (laughs) true. I really, uh, I feel bad about the, you know, going to the major grocery stores now where the checkout people are measured by, you know, basically their scans per minute, things like that. Um, And it really has lost some of the humanity and et cetera of a personal experience that makes you more loyal to a store, more, and also where the people can actually help you find what you're really missing as opposed to the very fast thing. Did you find everything you're looking for? Scan, scan, scan. And you don't want to mess with their scan rates, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Now let's talk about knowledge workers. So maybe at a grocery store, that makes sense. Maybe they don't really care about the customer experience as much as getting the customers out of the store quickly. Knowledge workers, measuring their keyboard strokes per minute or whatever, really... uh, will dehumanize and take away because what we find is really looking at the knowledge worker place where you really have to take the time to design things and create solutions that are innovative and creative and really paradigm leaps for your business, for your customers, etc. cetera, uh, is a nonlinear process, if you will. And oftentimes this means these people have to, the exceptional ones are doing more than creating something, they're creating a, creating a product, they're creating a community, they're creating a school of thought, they're innovating by bringing other people in and creating this culture of excellence. Um, I personally don't know how to codify that yet at a detail level. I can detail it at a very system level you know, this is like quantum physics, you know, Einstein, you know, uh, you know, the principle of uncertainty in physics, right? You can't predict the behavior of any electron, but you can predict the behavior of a system. So trying to do this for individuals, is like trying to do it for an electron. You can measure the system and that's where we need to be looking.
0: Right. That, and that kind of brings us a little further into the book as we skip around the idea of lead the exceptional few to be the catalyst for accelerating your organization.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> do you want me to talk about that? Yeah, please, please, please do. Okay. Uh, well, you know, th- it took me a while to be hit with the obvious. If I go back like 20, 30 years. Um, I would, I was coaching really high performance teams, but I would have to coach some teams as big as 30 or 50 or 60 people. Mm-hmm. Now, Before I got smarter, I was trying to coach every single individual. And that was, you know, pulling my hair out. It was impossible. But through an evolution and then a revolution, I realized, oh, I just really need to coach the exceptional few, a few people. And when I got them to understand the immutable laws of speed, when I got them to understand how to coach other people... I had a lever that I could move the world. I could coach just a few people and I could change the performance of entire teams, entire organizations. Uh, In the company I run now, the exceptional difference. uh, We have this mantra. One person can change a team. One team can change the whole organization. And we have found that to be true over and over again. That we get the exceptional few into our uh, experiences that we give, which is, Very different than training, but most people put it in the training bucket. People go through an experience, and they come out the other side transformed, and they're able to transform entire teams. Where I used to have to train 100 people, I can now transform one person that changes the whole team. So the exceptional few, and if you look through history, it's the exceptional few that make these big differences. Leaders that understand that in their organization can basically create uh, a trim tab for their organization
2: if i may go off
1: for a second more yeah
2: i, I
1: look at i look at organization as as, as fractals if you will if you okay. notice a fern a fern plant oh my gosh sorry i love <laughs> it i love it i love fractals okay. please okay great if you look at a fern plant if you look at the tiny leaf at the bottom it looks like the bigger leaf which looks like the whole plant i find if you look at organizations if you can take a vertical slice of that organization you get the whole thing, and even if it's a very thin slice. If you look at what uh, what these managers are doing, these team leaders are doing, these engineers are doing, you're going to find that's almost true across the board. If you can change that vertical slice and just really put it to a paradigm leap, the rest of the organization is going to come with them. You're going to change that fractal and it's going to replicate throughout. And that's... Why I find this work so exciting? Because we just keep learning more and more about the strength of individuals and the strength of some individuals to really influence the whole. and that we can actually do our mantra: change one person, change one team, change the world. It's so much
0: fun. That's awesome. I I love the I love that idea because I I let me, can I add to the fractal metaphor a little bit. Like I I feel that like. I, okay, I might go off on a tangent now, Alan. So, excuse me, for let's a go. I okay. get it. Okay, so I, I don't think you come into this world, I think you come out of it. And I think that if you want to build an organization, an industry, or anything that's going to last, you got to look at nature as a model. And, like, let's take, for example, you know, uh, let's take, for example, a um, like a glacier. So, every Every spring, the glacier begins to melt. And think of this giant glacier, and it's the first day of spring, and the sun comes out, and all of a sudden, this beautiful beam, boom, it lands on the glacier, and a small little drop begins to melt at the edge of the glacier. It slowly rolls down, beginning the process of erosion down the mountain hill, and it takes the same exact path that it's taken for generations. And as it's slowly moving down this this mountainside, boom, it gets stuck at a little spot and it begins to pool. Now, if we could personify that drop of water for a minute, that drop of water is probably thinking, oh man, I'm done here. There's no way I'm going to make it past this thing. But you know what? The drop of water, it looks back to the path from which it comes. And here's the first example. We as people or as an organization, we can look back to the path that came before us, whether it's in our institution, some of these companies have been around 100 years, or it could be an institution that was that had been more, that had had a better strategy than us. But either way, we can look back to the source from which we came, the same way in which the water drop looks back to the source from which it came. And it can see the path. And then it can start making the inference, well, I am going to be reinforced by this, just using its logic. It gets reinforced, it makes it over the hurdle. So when you talk about fractals and when you talk about nature, I think that those two parts go well together. I think as above, so below. And you can apply what happens the way a tree grows, the way a glacier melts, to the strategy of a business. What say you, Alan? Um, absolutely.
1: <laughs> no, you just the source, looking back to where I came from. You know, I got to say, uh, I often think I'm, I am following in my father's footsteps, although I'm not doing farming anymore. But I look back, I just remember, uh, you know, once I grew up on a dairy farm. Hard, very hard work my dad and my dad was dairy farmer of the year year after year for the right. area and uh, and I remember one day we were sitting watching TV on a sunny Sunday afternoon in the sun, summer okay just know that doesn't happen on farm <laughs> but we, we we were and another farmer dropped by and said oh fritz my dad uh, you're watching TV he goes Yeah He goes, you got all your hay in? Yep, all the hay's in. He just went through a list of questions. My dad said, yep, we're all on top of that. And the the other farmer goes, who was behind and yackered with my dad, who said, oh, man, I got to get out there. I'm so behind and everything. You are one lucky farmer. And my dad said, yeah, I'm one lucky farmer. When the guy left, my dad said, I guess he missed that that luck was, you know, that during the winter, we made sure all of our equipment was fixed. (laughs) And and when the sun was shining, we worked until three in the morning to get all that stuff done. I think uh, we put a little bit of work in to get this lucky that we could watch this TV show on a sunny Sunday afternoon.
2: (laughs) And you know what? (laughs)
1: And my dad ran everything by data before anybody else had computers back when they were really expensive and not meant to be in the barn. He had a computer in the barn. He was measuring the product. You know, it's just amazing. I follow the path of my dad because I bring data. I bring work. I I find that I've had a lot of teams that have been wildly successful, like the green team, Mm -hmm. where everybody else said we were lucky. (laughs) And let me yeah. tell you it's not luck it's knowing the laws it's it's knowing where you're going and doing the right things to get there i like that path metaphor
0: yeah my mentor used to tell me the harder i work the luckier i get
1: absolutely <laughs> <laughs> and the if you work hard and smart you're going to get even luckier
0: <gasps> yeah it's a great it's a great point they just reinforce each other and you know i when we talk about Reaching back to the source, a lot of the stories that you tell in your book, which the book is called Lead with Speed, ladies and gentlemen. It's a great book by Alan Will. You should definitely check it out. I think you'll enjoy it and learn quite a bit from it. Lead with Speed. But in the book, you tell some stories about your personal life, about being a running track and coming up with strategies to be faster, being a software developer and coming up with strategies there. And when I, you know, it's, it's almost fractal in your nature to pull back on these things in your life. Is that something you teach people or um, it sounds like you're using the Pareto principle, but when you, when you find these few individuals, right, when you find them, are you teaching them to reach back to success stories in their life and apply those to what's happening in their life now?
1: Absolutely. What you're referring to is more than the Pareto.
0: To me, it's this, uh, the most exceptional people
1: work on their, not just on improving, but they work on their ability to improve. So you make, Ah, that sense made sense to you. Yeah,
0: I'm going to write it down. He's making a note
1: about that.
0: (laughs)
2: Uh,
1: So so really, it's working on your improvement engine. So yeah, Pareto is part of that, but it's really, it's about, again, as an individual, knowing where you want to go. It's an individual collecting the important data, the important aspects, and constantly reflecting and learning on what was successful and why and what, what didn't work as well and why, and what might have outright failed. And looking at that, not with tears and depression, which you should do for a minute, you know, take a <laughs> wine break, but then look at it and say, what can we learn from this? Uh, you know, one of the things I write in there is what gaining spe- speed from the shrapnel of failure. It's, it's just a billy look at all of this stuff and use it to feed your improvement engine so your question was do i teach people this yes but i have to say getting to that point usually takes some my the people that work with me a little bit while to get to that place where they understand that meta process to understand that on their shoulder is themselves looking at not just what the work they're doing but how they're doing it and constantly coming up with ideas oh Maybe this little tweak could help us do that better next time. Maybe this little tweak could help us create more value. You know, I write books, I write. I'm on probably writing process number 23 or something like that because I keep learning how to tell stories better and how to go faster and make them more valuable. You know, I just love it when people call me or write to me and say, you know, hey, I just finished your book. I just got this last week and it really just changed my life. Uh, and no book has ever done that before. I'm kind of blown away by that, <laughs> but it's great reinforcement. And I called the guy. and said, "Tell me how." <laughs> it's like I want to know more about this. But really, it was that improvement engine part.
0: <gasps> yeah, that's awesome. That that must be a great feeling. And maybe perhaps in the future, you could have a book of letters, like you know, like the same way Whirlpool and all these people back in the day had books of letters. That would be a good one to read. But uh... so let me ask. That you would this be story. great. That would be fun. Right. Like we we don't have those books anymore. Remember, like, I don't know if you I I have a pretty big library and in my library, I have all these old books and it's letters from Turkestan, like letter from Turkey, the embassy letters and stuff. And I think you can learn a lot about an individual and what they're about when, in fact, you read the letters or correspondences that were written to them. So, Alan, if you write that book or you publish those, I'll be the first to buy it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: <laughs> nice. Okay, here's my next question. So as we talked about you finding the exceptional few, and we got into the credo a little bit, What it seems like a fine line between, like, let's say you find someone at this corporation, like you, and you have identified this particular leader as a leader in the organization. They're exceptional, and they are going to be the catalyst. If you push them too far, aren't they going to leave that company and start their own company? Like, what holds them there? You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Um, You know,
1: one of the biggest challenges people have, especially in the world of knowledge, work, engineering, etc., is attracting and retaining top talent. Right. And I mean, it's really the top talent. And the top talent are the people that you're going to push the most. You want to be careful that you don't push them out, is your point. And to me, uh, that always comes back to what I started your podcast with, which is the value. Where are you going? If people feel they're part mm-hmm. and committed to this purpose, the value-based purpose, and why it's good for their customers and why it's good for their company, they're going to want to continue to be part of that. <laughs> It's when people are lacking that commitment to purpose that they start to their eyes start to wander and they start to listen to those other offers they're getting. Yeah. As long as they feel they're part of the solution and part of a valuable solution, they're going to stick with you.
0: Yeah, I like those two words, purpose and meaning. Like there's so much power that are packed into those words, and there's so much speed probably that's packed in there because that's that's where the real motivation happens, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And really, uh, what I really try to uh, inspire in my, the leaders that I work with, the individuals, that they want to be able to empower their people to have these mantra in their mind that the person that's working for me is going to do more, care more, know more about this project I've given them than I possibly could. I want them to have that agency where they can blow me away and surprise me. You don't know want... Uh, people to feel like they're the fingers and toes to your grand plan. You want them to feel like they have this agency to to create this grand plan. And that's what leaders, the best leaders really are going to do. They're going to give the people this power.
0: Yeah. What, let me ask you this one here. Like, what would you say is the difference between a leader and a visionary? Ah, okay. challenging me. Uh, (laughs) Um,
1: Well, that's good. I'll, I'll first. I'll start with this: the difference between like a good manager and a good leader, or exceptional okay. leader. Good managers, you know, keep their people occupied and they keep things well run. They have good agendas, etc. Exceptional leaders are pointing in the right direction. Now, visionaries are, I, I guess, just creating this on the spot. Visionaries, to me, are taking the whole team to a paradigm leap. It's like looking beyond the what's there and how to improve it to say. What's the thing we can do that's extraordinarily different that really changes things for our company, for our customers, for ourselves? That's what a visionary will do.
0: I like that. I, the one, I when I speak with people in management, I tell them this: a manager is someone who a manager is someone who does things right, and a leader is someone who does the right thing. You know, it seems like too many people get themselves in trouble when they when they do what's right. You know, instead of doing the right thing, I think there's a difference there. And I think people can get caught up in that little hiccup right there sometimes. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here with Alan Willett. His previous book, Leading the Unleadable, is available at bookstores. Today, we're talking with expert consultant Alan Willett about his new book, Lead with Speed. You can check him out at his website, exceptionaldifference.com. It's called Lead with Speed, and he really gets into the nitty gritty of what it's like to be you know, at the top and trying to find and retain top talent. It's really trying to get out there and see where the problems lay. And if there's roadblocks in the way, you got to find out what those roadblocks are. You know, is it, is it behavior? Is it a sort of lack of purpose? All of us, regardless of where you work at, you probably know a team, whether it's a sales team or an engineering team that gets out there and they start building this product and then they get stuck. What are the reasons they get stuck? Do they get stuck because they're behind budget? Do they get stuck because lack of vision? And there's all these little roadblocks that can stop you from getting where you want to be. And if you're honest with yourself, the same things that probably slow you down in a team are the same things that slow you down on an individual level. And they're the roadblocks in our mind. They are the, they are the the. The problems with money, the problems with vision, the problem with teams. Teams is a big one because there's a lot of different personalities that get involved when you're building something. There's a lot of there's a, a lot of different things that can happen when you get into the world of building things together. And I think if you take a look at Alan's book, he's got a lot of remedies for these particular situations. If you check it out, it's called Lead with Speed. I think you'd really enjoy it. I know that I have and I've I've learned a lot. And we're gonna, he's back here with us now. We're gonna learn even more. So I was just telling I was just telling the people about some of the possible pitfalls that happen when you're working with a team, when you're working with a budget and in a timeline. I guess let me ask you this. How do you create a targeting system for speed?
1: Oh. One of my favorites.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, There's
1: what I encourage targeting system by speed, by the way, what I I like to think about is uh, it's an active system. It's like the missiles now that, if you will, that can track the target thereafter. It's not like you let an arrow go and it's gone. It's going to be tracking along the way. So a targeting system for speed is for leaders to really be constantly looking at this. First off, in the center of this targeting system is value. What is the value we're after? The second is, depending on the priority and importance of the project, you have to get the right talent on that project. And then outside of that, you have to start to organize this talent in the best way possible. So I look at it as this escalating circles outwards. And then, once we have the talent, and once we got them organized, I wanted them to have the best processes and tools to support them. And I want them to have the power, the agency, to change those tools that they need to, to get the best tools for the job, to get the best support for the job. So, to me, what you, it really starts with knowing where you're going, and then start to organ, get the best talent on it, get them the best training, et cetera. It just all fits together nicely when you start to look at it in my book you see i have a very nice chapter about this and i have a nice graphic that just shows what you know sort of like a scope that says here's what the center is and here's the next circle's out uh it's a lot of fun to think about the uh thing that's amazing to me is a lot of uh organizations can i talk about how that fits with exceptional starts? yeah please whatever you want okay um this is fun because it's amazing how often I go into organizations that are under this great stress. And one of the questions I, uh, I have learned is uh, it's like Socrates asking the right questions because I find out people know the answers. I would ask people, what happens when you start projects poorly? They tell me what happens. Oh, have you started a project poorly? Uh, They're gonna be behind the curve from the start. They're gonna be under so much pressure. They start to make mistakes. They're gonna miss dates. There's gonna be a lot of rework. It's, and there's gonna be stress. People leave because of the stress and we have to replace the people, which makes it take longer. Managers tell me these things. Executives tell me these things. And I said, okay, um," then I say, what are the 10 things you have to do to start projects right? And people are brilliant. They tell me. They basically outline the uh, targeting system for speed. Well, we better make sure that we know what it is and where where that is the priority in the organization. We got to get the uh, right leadership on it right away. The people that have the most skill for this, we just can't rely on putting who's available. We may have to make some changes. We have to, you know, they go through the list. And they came and basically they come up with 10 items. And here's the killer. You ready for this? I'm say, ready. What you got? I say to them now, how many of those 10 things do you do when you start projects? And the answer was, oh, probably two of those. <laughs> 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 and uh, so, the, so the targeting system for speed, everybody really has a good sense for. I put it together in a way that makes it really understandable, et cetera but here's the real challenge using it because what I, when I talk to these leaders, they say, I say, so why? You know what the problem is. You know, if you don't start them well, this will happen. You also know what the right things to do are. Why aren't you doing them? (laughs) (laughs) And so the real key is to just have the courage to be different than everything around you because in most organization uh one of the stories i tell is the uh, cucumber looks at the pickle barrel and says i'll never look like you guys but it gets thrown in the pickle barrel and it gets pickled (laughs) (laughs) and the brine is culture so if everybody around them is starting projects badly because they want to look like they're going fast. If you start a project in a hurry, you're going to be started before everybody else. People think if you know you, you start the race early, you're going to win. No. <sighs> How many teams times have you watched races in the Olympic the long distance race in the Olympics where the guy in first for the first three laps is Mm -hmm. and the back of the pack at the end (gasps) it's not how fast you start it's how fast you finish and and if you watch uh, chess matches or go matches you'll see they spend the first two hours on the first dozen 20 moves and the last hour on the rest (gasps) (gasps) starting projects right takes some work and it looks slow so people don't want to look slow these are the problems People want to look. A lot of organizations are going to reward the red team for their sweat more than reward the green team for the results. Over and over, I see this. Mm. The ones that excel are the ones that say, hey, I'm the focus on results. I don't care what the rest of the organization looks like. My job is not to just get results. My job is to change the brine. My job that- is to make the organization better and that is a definition of the exceptional few that is a definition of the visionary that's the difference between a good manager and an exceptional leader a good engineer and an exceptional engineer
0: that's a great definition alan well done that's changing culture is it's a really i <clears throat> that's something only exceptional people can do because it becomes contagious when they have the vision when they have the drive that contagion is what changes the brine as you say you, you know and i have
1: to say it, it's just through years of experience that i finally figured this out in some ways i i'll tell you two stories if i got yeah, time please uh, okay. of course uh, w- One is you know i used to be uh i you know there's a lot of methodologies out there uh it, i don't know how much you know about the world of engineering and development but there's this big agile push Uh, scrum, all these different methodologies. And I used to be one of the people that was coming out to these organizations and pushing methodologies. And I thought the methodology was great. And I'd get in there and I would find all these problems in the way of doing the methodology. And I'd I'd help the organization fix all those problems. And then the methodology was great. But the organizations kept calling me back. But they didn't call me back for the methodology. They kept calling me back to solve problems.
2: Hmm.
1: It's not about the methodology. (laughs) And what I have found is a lot of organizations have methodology, but they're not, they haven't solved all the problems surrounding them. The methodology is still crap. (gasps) They were getting results before, bad results before this methodology. Now they're getting bad results with this new shiny object. It's not the methodology. It's the leadership it's the culture, it's the brine, and there's certain things you must change for that. So that's one thing I learned, is it's not the methodology, it's really making sure that you fix the problems in the organization to make the methodology work. The second thing I learned was this, we would put a lot of people through the methodology training, if you will, and they got it, they loved it, and they knew that this Methodology would work because it really is a green team methodology, you know. But they couldn't survive in the culture, it didn't matter how much training they had. But what we realized is we were we shouldn't be doing training, we should be transformation. So, what the exceptional difference does now, for example, we have people go through what a traditional training is, you know, you go into a week long thing maybe a week long workshop and you learn tons of stuff and you're really excited and you maybe get to apply 5% of it when you leave the room and you maybe remember 3% of it in the following
2: weeks.
1: (laughs) There's actually data to support those kind of numbers I just threw out. (laughs) So we don't do that. We said that doesn't work. So one of the things we have is the exceptional engineering experience. It's across six months. It's little, it's, um, discussion groups and assignments that are directly about their job and intense coaching. So it's very little academic. It's there is a part where it's reading and, you know, things, but most of it is, okay, here's the principle. Now go apply to your job and we're here to help you change the brine. And they go through a number of things to do this. And one of the final things is what we call culture. What can you do as an individual engineer or an individual team leader or individual executive to change the culture? So that's the final piece. After they get those immutable laws of engineering I talked about, we finally add on the part of, and how do you make those around you better? How do you tell the truth to make a positive difference? How do you make those around you better? How do you start to change the brine, change the culture? And that's really where the breakthroughs
0: have been. It's almost like a class in social engineering on some level. I like that. I'll use it's, that. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, I think it's a, one of the most important things people can do. And if you want to be great in life, the first thing you should do is try to make everyone around you better because that, you know, sometimes I ask myself this question, how many people do I have to make around me exceptional before I become exceptional? Because it's, it's going be, to gonna flow into you eventually. But th- I wonder what that number is. You know what I mean? It's fun to think about. Uh, oh, it is, oh, you remember the show The weakest Link? Yeah, I do. Uh,
1: well, what's interesting to me is, uh, you know, one of the things we taught was this engineering class about how to really create defect-free uh, software very quickly and et cetera. And one of the people that I put through it, where we actually got all their data, he, he was like, he was, super from the start he was like i was like wow you you never needed this course he said i didn't everybody around me did
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, uh, and the thing was he was right because everybody around him went from okay engineers to very good engineers because the thing is if and this is getting complicated in the engineering stuff but really if you look at um the rockets that are going up one single nozzle is off you might have to scrub the entire launch right so what we find this is true for any complex system if any part of it is crappy the whole system is crappy it doesn't matter if i did perfect work if the engineer next to me did not does that make sense
0: yeah to- so totally does.
1: Uh, so when you say that about in a, in a laughing way it's, it is funny but it's also very serious, especially when we're looking at where, how pervasive software is now. Yes, it's in your toothbrush. Your toothbrush is probably not gonna kill you. It's in your car. That could. (laughs) Um, These are safety critical systems that it's becoming pervasive in. And we really need exceptional engineering and we cannot afford to have any single piece of that fail. These are so complex that we really have to get this exceptional engineering throughout the industry, throughout the world.
0: Wow. That's, that's, it's awesome. I, I'm, I'm having a great time talking to you, Alan. Can, let me, can I shift gears here from actually I got a few questions that uh, a few people have asked here and I'm going to see, I'm going to throw them up here and we'll read them here. This one is more of a comment. It says agile, scrum, black belt, etc. It's just different syntax. <laughs> Benjamin, I love that.
1: <laughs> I think we are of a, of a like mind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right here's another one for us same guy ben thank you benjamin george for chiming in here man twitter 2.0 is trending employees received a letter with 24 hours to acknowledge a commitment of hardcore work 80 plus hours etc any thoughts on that alan
1: oh my goodness uh so many thoughts i could write a book <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: um well, we're talking about a very interesting leader, and I, I won't, I'll just talk, and I could talk about him and what I see as his pluses and minuses are, but let's just say, in general, pressure doesn't make diamonds. <laughs> uh, pressure makes people leave, and it's usually mm-hmm. going to make the, the, the top talent leave. So, um, if, from what I've seen in other organizations, this could be very problematic for a Twitter in the long term, Uh, because, you know, one of the big banes in the industry, especially for engineering, is known as technical debt. It's just where code gets very difficult to make changes to. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I saw that one of the engineers was saying how bad the technical debt is and that that needed to be fixed. And from what I heard, that individual got fired for complaining about it. That's not going to fix the technical debt. Tech. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so to me, uh, if you're going to take over a company and try to make it better, what you really want to focus on, let's get away from Twitter and by yeah. ranting about that. I don't know what's going to happen there. I'm not behind the closed doors, and maybe they're doing some good things. But if you really want to help transform a company, what you really got to do is get the top talent on board top leaders, top engineers, individual engineers, and get them to be pointed in the right direction we want to go and make them part of how we're going to solve the problems we have, how to change not just the software or the product, but how to change the culture. So we going back to the individual thing. So we're, as an organization, aren't just improving, we're improving our engine on how to improve.
0: Yeah, I hope that, that answers The question. (laughs) It does. It does. But I want to dig a little deeper, like, because it it seems that it seems that let's let's say it doesn't have to be Twitter, but Twitter is an interesting model because you have these two camps that seem to be, you know. At each, other's, at each other's throats a little bit, at least in a political nature. But if you come in and let's, let's say, there's another company like that. How do you change the culture in there? Like if you have great people on both sides that know the code, but they have different ideas about what's right. What kind of olive branch could you put out there to bring those people together? Um, you know, you don't need an olive branch. I gotta tell you
1: <laughs> what, what you need. And seriously, uh, Usually, what people are arguing about is the wrong thing. <laughs> it's so true. Uh, yes, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I've heard this one before. They're arguing about what color to paint the boat, and they haven't decided they need to go anywhere.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> uh, and so, to me, what I usually find is they're arguing about tactics when they need to have a get, a strategy, and that has to start with what goal. Are we sharing goals? What are we trying to do? And this is what I usually find when there's warring parties. um, And there's incentive. Let me see. You know, I look at politics. That's hard. So,
2: you know, it's it's
1: crazy because their incentive is to stay in the office. Their incentive isn't necessarily to solve problems. (gasps)
2: Um,
1: So, but in organizations where really we often do have the same goals. We want the company to be successful. I find with any warring parties I talk to in companies, they passionately want the organization to be successful. And what they're usually arguing about is the wrong thing. One organization um, I was called into, um, the engineers and management were at each other's throat. But they were. it turned out once we, I got there, I, I showed them they were arguing about the same thing. The managers were really mad about the engineers whining all the time. And the engineers were whining about, you know, we have these issues, these issues, these issues, and that's horrible. And managers were giving them more pressure. You're going too slow, our competitors are catching us, etc. I got in there, and what we found out was the engineers were whining about things that needed to be fixed but what we transformed what needed to be fixed into was a business case once the engineers fixed these certain things they could go actually 10 times faster seriously they could go 10 times faster after fixing those things
0: and we were able to show
1: management that with data that the team could go faster they were arguing about the same thing engineers were complaining though about what was in their way but they didn't put it into And if we fix these, we'd go faster. And management was not listening. They were just saying, you're freaking slow. Not (laughs) listening to why they were going slow. They just needed, uh, I'm sorry, but Douglas Adams and They needed a translator. So we were able to actually, if you go deep for a second, we just actually looked at various things they were doing and measured their productivity there. And we found out it was like one over X. And we've looked in other parts of the system where it was clean, et cetera. It was 10 over X. It was really simple after that. Here's 1X, here's 10X. Uh, You want the 10X, to get the 10X, we have to fix these things here, and then you have 10X. (gasps) And it's gonna cost you to do that. And management said, when could we start? (laughs) So to me, these warring parties thing, uh, again, it's really, let's make sure we're arguing about the right goal. Um, If we're arguing about the goal, we're okay now we have to have a management decision about which way we're going (gasps) and usually when management picks which way to go again the fight's over people will will line up against it they'll say yes they'll most likely will stick around once the direction is set if there's no direction set everybody's pulling in different directions Okay. <laughs> I went on about that. Sorry about that.
0: No, that it's it's free to talk. It's just a conversation. And I, I think some of the most interesting conversations I have are when people begin telling stories and, and telling ideas about it and stuff. But the story you told me reminds me of a back to our fractal Ideas again. It seems to me that what's happening in some corporations and a little bit of the story you told is what's happening in the world. And it's this idea of specialization that's causing linguistic problems for people. We're so specialized, people aren't talking the same language, even though they're in the same place. And whether it's it's medicine, it's everywhere. And it's, is it, do you see that too in the work you're doing?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Really, uh, you know, we've mentioned technical debt a few times. Right most of the time managers here is technical debt is whining. And uh, seriously, they do. It's just that they go off whining again. You know, we're running what I call a technical debt deep dive, for example, right now. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, you know, like an engineer uh, was walking me through one thing. And I said, okay, so this is costing you, uh, you know, Seven to ten days every time you have to do it when it should only take you one he goes absolutely it does and because because we have technical debt I said, yeah I understand you have technical debt so uh if you fixed it, if you got rid of the technical that, it would only take you one day oh less than a day, half a day. How long would it take you to fix this? Oh probably two days And I'm like, how long has this been there? Five years. <laughs> why do you two things? One, you probably don't even need permission uh, to do stuff do a fix like this. But if you think you do need position, you got the data, stop whining about it, put together the data, make the business case.
2: <laughs> and
1: it was so easy after that. He, he got it. You know, this is the Brian talking again. The Brian says, here's the improvement engine again. The Brian says, keep, keep going. More, more features, faster. <gasps> the improvement engine says, "Hey, what are the things I can do now that can make me faster? How do I, how do I balance doing stuff versus going faster? And it, it's really just making that perfect balance between those things."
0: Yeah, it's. I forgot it's what an, the
1: question was.
0: <laughs> but, I mean, we were talking about specialization, and then how. You know, oh right, right.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. So the specialization. So technical debt is a specialization kind of language. Uh, and a lot of the upper managers do not understand what that means. Developers think they understand what it means, but they don't have a way to translate it. Uh, there's a lot of other examples of this. You know, uh, Developers are going to talk about patterns and anti-patterns. The executive mm-hmm. that's running the company usually doesn't understand that unless they were an engineer themselves. We have to move away from the language and talk about the value. That, that to me, it always to me, uh, what I say is uh, what engineers need to focus on, especially and managers need to understand this as well I, I give this talk two different ways. I tell engineers, this is your obligation," or I tell managers they have to tell the organization. So let's talk to the executives for a minute. The executives should make it clear what the obligations of engineers are to them as the executives. That everybody should be focused on value, first of all. Second is they should focus on quality. Third, they should focus on ownership of speed to value. And fourth, make commitments you keep. And then I tell them what that, to explain what that means. Value for our company, such as, you know... um, I don't know. My company, uh, our value is transformation. We, we really don't care. If, we care if people like what the training, et cetera, we, they take. But what we are devoted to is that it makes a positive impact to their whole o- company, their whole organization, to their teams, to their lives. That's what we care about, transformation. So that's the value. We weigh everything we do. Again, so are we achieving that value for our, the people that come to us, the customers, et cetera? Second is quality. If you, get some, if you see the one-star reviews on anima, Amazon, a lot of times it just says, I got the thing and it was broke.
2: <laughs>
1: quality is we provide to people things that work the first time. The quality should be basically invisible because quality doesn't become invisible until it's broke. And then it's obvious. So uh, a lot of times managers don't talk about quality a lot because they think it should be obvious. They need to talk about quality. They need to make it clear that it should go to the customer's defect free, that it should come into testing with very few defects because you can't test quality in and rework is expensive, more expensive than doing it right. So quality, focus on that. Third, ownership is speed to value. This is a, subtle one but this is about whatever you're given a task to do you come back to me and you say here's what I can, how fast I can do it with the resources you've given me but here's other options we can go faster if we change this requirement we can go faster if you give me more money we can go faster if you give me these more resources you know that one's hard because you know I was talking to uh, one of the really big equipment manufacturers with software, hardware, all these systems. And I said, what's it cost you of your uh for every week you're late to the getting this on the manufacturing line? It goes oh two, three million dollars every week. Wow. I said, do the developers know this? Well they should. Yes, exactly. They did. And I said, are they bringing you ideas how to go faster? No, they just keep complaining. No. So this is the speed to value. Ownership is speed to value. Bring me. I said, you got to go tell them mm-hmm. that if you ha- they have something that will cost a million dollars, it'll save a week. They should bring it to you. So he had to do that talk multiple times before he got any suggestions about how they could go faster then things started to change. Ownership of speed to value. And these are in the order of priority. Fourth is make commitments you keep, which is basically, uh, this is a subtle one too, because you can't just put down a deadline and say people are going to be fired if they don't make it by that point. Uh, that's perhaps an allusion to Twitter again, I'm not sure. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, But you want the people making the commitment to make the commitment. Then you can hold them accountable to the commitment they made. So that one's subtle as well, but you want them to make the commitment. So I think we covered most of the book now. I mean, people won't have to buy it now. That's the good news.
0: No, but no. They still should. <laughs> I think we've just barely scratched the surface of the book. The book is called "Lead with Speed" by Alan Willett. And if you thought what we talked about here was interesting, then buy the book and you'll be blown away. You're going to come out with a lot of ideas. You're going to come away with to getting to understand other people's experiences. And I think that that's one part that I really took away, and then I really enjoyed is that there's ideas in there that although they're told in a story format, whether it's through your life or through places you've been to, there are things that you can apply to your life today. Or you can apply to your team today, and it's communicated in a very effective, friendly way for anybody to read. Whether you're an engineer or not an engineer, whether you're a manager or not a manager, but yeah, it's amazing. Um, I, I uh, I'm having an absolute blast, Alan, and I, I thank you very much for your time. What, what do you do? You have any any gigs coming up, or where can people find you? And what are you excited about?
1: Okay, uh, sure.
0: <laughs> uh, I can be found. You know, uh,
1: you could just type. Uh, ExceptionalDifference.com, just those two words, or alanwillett.com, and you will find me. Uh, and of course, my books are on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Audible. They're, uh, they I do think they're fun books. I have a uh, two major books now: "Lead with Speed" and "Leading the Unleadable." They're both fun. <laughs> uh, do I have any gigs coming up? Oh, I always have gigs coming up. If you mean speaking tours, uh, probably I have another couple of speaking things come up. But the main one is uh, we have our next version of Exceptional Engineering Experience coming up soon, uh, which is we have – by the way, that's really fun because it's both executives that take it as well as team leaders and individual engineers. It's really about these fundamental things, and it's customized for each person in it. It's really intense. It's really fun. We have technical debt deep dives coming up, quality deep dives. Leadership deep dives. We have, oh, just so many things we're having fun with. Working around the world with people from all sorts of walks of life. Did I answer your questions?
0: Well, yeah. What, tell me more about about that, which you just spoke about. Is that like a six-week course? It is a week, you know, what is, it? is, is, what is that course like for those different uh, ones? Okay. Okay. The Exceptional Engineering
1: Experience is truly across six months. And we cover four X factors, we call them. The Exceptional Difference Factors. The ability to make commitments you can keep or beat. Uh, quality. How do you actually make sure that you have the data and you're progressing in the quality journey? In that, we just teach people that there's nine stages of the quality journey, and most people are stuck in stage two or three, which is uh, test quality in or in formal, informal reviews. We find that every time people make a step up in the, the journey, they're going faster, producing better things for their clients. And having a hell of a lot more fun as well. The next X Factor, so this is, you know, uh, six weeks on this, then six weeks on quality, then six weeks on speed to value, ownership of speed to value. How do you make sure you're doing the right value, and how do you make sure – and, Jake, I'm on the radio. You'll have to wait. (laughs) My kids are here. (laughs) Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the final one is culture, about how to amplify culture. And so this is what I said is not your traditional training. It's not like you're in a classroom this whole six months. We have every couple weeks we have a, uh, a dialogue session where all the, everybody gets together and we share things. We give reading assignments. And most of all, we give uh, homework assignments to go take and apply the principles on their job and have sessions with, the gurus that teach it myself included such as you know uh design we say okay we talk people through a lot of what a good design is because most people don't learn that we really people are even people that have been in the business for 10 20 30 years are startled when we show them what a good design really should be and then we have them go evaluate the design process in their organization it's only like a two three hour exercise but people's minds are blown because they go back and look at these things and they come back with 20 ideas of how they could do something better in their organization. And then we tell them, well, let's pick one and you go do that before you you lose me out of this. So people go through it and they make really dramatic changes through the six months to how they do work and how to the organization around them does work. So that's the exceptional engineering experience.
0: That sounds amazing.
1: Uh, it. Uh, Yeah, I tell you, I'm constantly, I'm constantly blown away. And when you do these things right, you learn more. You learn as an instructor so much because what I'm doing is I'm coaching like people from, you know, our last cohort just is graduating right now, 18 people from 18 different uh, parts of an organization. And I get to learn about so many different things about the unique challenges, unique things. So I'm, accumulating even more experience than a lot of individuals although all the individuals are as well because they get to hear about all these other people in a great depth instead of me talking all the time it's all of us talking all the time learning from each other it's really a transformative experience and we keep making it better based on the feedback from uh, everybody that takes
2: it.
0: Man, I know I know you got your kids or you got to go, Alan. But I'm having way too much fun. You're gonna have to come back because we should talk about your next book. This is a really fun conversation, and I could probably talk to you for another hour. But I'm gonna let you go because you got your family there. So um, I really appreciate your time. And um, after the broadcast, I'll uh, I'll get you all this raw info, and you can have it and do what you like with it. I'll send it to your email and stuff, and uh, we'll set up some more times, man. If if you're willing to come back, I would really enjoy it.
1: Yeah, two things. One, love to come back, and two. I know you know this, but hey, I just ask everybody to uh, hey, let's work on doing good in the world. We get better at that. We'll have a good place to live.
0: <sighs> I love it. It's a great. It's a great way to go, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for your time. Check out Alan's website. It'll be down in the show notes. Uh, get the book. It's called Lead with Speed. Check out his other books. You'll walk away feeling a little bit better about yourself and be able to make some real changes in the world that'll make the world a little bit better. So that's what we got for today. Aloha. <laughs>